Uh, we're going to take a moment and um, sort of pause from Joshua. We're coming back to that, but the only reason I'm doing that today is because you know, we, we've learned that God's always with us, that God is present with us, that God fights for us, that God is a generous God who gives to us, that God inspires us, He breathes into us. We've learned that in the last four weeks, that God is simply amazing. And uh, But what, what are His greatest attributes? When we think about God, because we've listed a bunch of them, we've learned about them, but what is His greatest attribute? Is it that He's a holy and just God? We, we can't stand close to His presence because He is so holy. Is it His love? Is it His generosity? What is it that is so incredible about God? Well, today is Valentine's Day. Gentlemen, if you woke up this morning and you forgot, oh boy, you've been faking it well so far. There's cards in the back, grab one. Most of them are get well cards, so just cross out the get and put an S and put like your swell or something like that, okay? We'll try to help you out best we can. There's some blank cards in there too, grab one of those, okay? I'm trying to help you out. With Valentine's Day, the one day in which we're reminded by all the stores and everywhere else uh, that we're supposed to tell each other we care about you, okay? Today, I wanted to take a moment and just remind you that the God of this universe, the incredible, majestic, amazing God of this universe, loves you. Oh, great, another love, love sermon, right? Another God loves you sermon, and I understand that, but... You've heard that before, but today I want you to hear about God's outrageous love. It's crazy, ridiculous, bizarre, outrageous, the kind of love he has for us. Now, his love begins before we can even imagine, and that's hard for us to grasp that kind of love. Because, you see, we, we fall in love, and I'm not even sure what fall in love means, okay? But we say, oh, I fell in love. What does that mean? I don't know. But I love that person now, right? We grew up saying it. You know, we, we meet someone, we develop a love for them over time, or we see someone that we're attracted to, and let's be honest, we lust or love for them. So, oh, they're good looking. They're beautiful. And, and it isn't so much... A godly love for them. It's we're just attracted to them by their beauty. And we meet someone, maybe, or we begin a relationship with them. We're just hanging out with them. We're friends. All of a sudden, you sort of like like them a little bit more than friends. It becomes love over time. The point is this: you never love somebody years prior to your meeting them. You don't. You start loving somebody. About that point in time, you meet them, and then gradually down the road, you begin to love them. But never years in advance. Before I knew any of you, I didn't love you because I didn't know you. It's the truth. But God did. God knew you before you were born, and He fell in love with you. That's amazing. It's, it's just hard to comprehend. It's just outrageous to me, right? And we can choose to love or not love others based on what? Based on how they treat us. Where they live. How they act. I could choose to love you or not. Our love for others is very limited, I guess is what I'm saying. 
It's formed according to our feelings, how I'm feeling about you today. Our love is so different than God's love. And that's what amazes me about God, is that in His unlimited knowledge, He knew us before time began, and He loved us in spite of our faults, and He chose to, knowing what we were going to be like. And He has this unlimited love for us. If we go back to time, the very beginning of this plan, we have this story about two people, Adam and Eve. So grab your Bibles. Open them up to the book of Genesis. First book in the Bible, Genesis meaning beginning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll, we'll bring one to you. There's some guys in the back. Genesis chapter 1. Let me read to you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They'll reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them, verse 28. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So God creates man and woman in his own image, which is pretty amazing, right? And then he says this, I'm giving you the whole garden to play in. Just the two of you. This whole garden is yours. Run around. Have fun. Eat what you want to eat. Run free, run naked. You're like, ooh, can you see that in church? This is biblical, people. No clothes invented yet. No fig leaves sewn. They were free as could be. They get the pet animal. They were like the ultimate zookeepers. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you want to swim? Let's go swim. And hey, dolphins, sharks, nice, great, white, good. You know, and then lions and, and giraffes and dogs. And I don't know if God created cats yet. Sin had an the world, but maybe he did. Maybe there were cats there. Sorry, Ali. So they're just having fun in the Garden of Eden. And you think about this, what rules do you have? What rules? I mean, do you think maybe Adam said, hey, God, you got any commands yet? And God's like, not yet. See, this guy by the name of Moses, he's going to come along, I'm going to give him ten. But right now, actually, i got just one rule for you, Adam, not to bring this up. Um, here's the deal. Eat, run, pet animals, have fun, govern the earth. But here's the thing. There's just one tree. Just one tree. Don't go buy it. Just trust me on this one. Don't touch it. Don't eat the fruit of it. Just leave it alone. But you can do whatever else you want. Just have fun, right? So, like, like us, right? Adam and Eve, what do they do? They gravitate towards that one thing they shouldn't do. How many times we know, like, don't touch that piece of chocolate cake? What do we do? We gravitate toward it, right? We're like, I won't touch it. I'm going to eat it. Does that count as touching? You start, you start start weighing things out. Well, they gravitated towards that one thing they shouldn't do, that one rule. And again, there was no need for rules, really, because you're created under the authority of God. There's no need for rules, but there's that one. And they broke that one rule. It was not the chocolate cake. They broke that one rule. They gravitated towards that tree. They took of that fruit and they ate it. And sin enters the world. And because of that one moment chapter 3, you can turn there. That one moment in chapter 3, 
guess what? Sin enters the world. Now we get to deal with sin. You and I are now sinners. And you know, if I say that and that offends you, especially if you're, you're, you're maybe your first time in church or you're visiting or you hear that all the time, it's like, don't call me a sinner. That's what we are. See, if you sin, if you make a mistake, if you mess up, if you miss the mark, you're a sinner. If you take something, you're a thief. If you lie, you're a liar. If you commit a sin, you're a sinner. We're sinners. That's what the Bible calls it. We all sin. Now, here's the deal. You don't need the Bible to confirm this. If you're having a conversation with somebody today, they don't go to church, they don't believe in God, whatever, they don't need the Bible to confirm that they're a sinner, that they mess up. Truth is, we can't even keep our own rules. I'm going to get up at a certain time every morning and work out or read the Bible, and you know, and I wake up the next morning, it's like, now nah, I'm going to set my alarm 10 minutes later. I'm going to skip the workout, and I'm just going to go right to breakfast. I can't even keep my own rules. I break my own rules that I set. I'm a sinner just because of what I can't do for myself. We say things about other people. Or we make choices that we know aren't right. And guess what happens? We feel bad about it. Our conscience speaks to us and says, what you did was wrong. You messed up. Call it what you want. The Bible defines it as sin. So we know at some point in time, something bad came along in this world and really messed everything up. And now we're all susceptible to sin and messing up. And we, those of us who call ourselves Christians, we go back to that chapter 3 of Genesis and say that, that's the point. That's where it all started, right there. And we believe that sin enters the world through Adam and Eve. Guess what? We have somebody to blame now, don't we? That's what we're often good at that, right? So Adam and Eve sinned. They broke that one rule. Now look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. It says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Now think about that for a second. You're in the Garden of Eden, the beauty of God's creation. You and gentlemen, if it's you, think of you and Eve. Ladies, if it's you, think of you and Adam. You're walking along. And in the breeze blowing, you hear God walking in the garden. How awesome is that, right? It wasn't so much for this moment. Because they had sinned. But it says next. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called the man, where are you? God knew. They broke that one rule that God gave them, and God comes walking into the garden that He created. Think about this. It's His garden. He created. He knows where everything is. And He's looking for Adam and Eve. They hid. You guys ever play hide-and-seek with God? Let me tell you something. You lose every time. He knows exactly where you are. He knows all the good places, right? We think you can hide well, but I'll tell you something. He sees you. He sees you. Back in my, uh, I, I call my youth pastor coaching days, we would take kids to multiple places, youth trips, places, whether it's Miracle Camp or Dominican Republic. Or, but there's always usually a hotel involved. And I'll never forget one time in the hotel, um, I'd taken my contacts out, I'd gone in the hallway, and I looked down the hallway, and I said, there's got to be some of the kids from our youth. I'm going, oh, I'm sure it is. I'm just going to mess with them. I'm going to goof with them. And you know in the hotel, when you're walking along the, the hallway, there's like the corridor, there's like, 
it's sort of cut out where, the, where you go to your room. So there's like a wall there, and then you can step back in the hallway and see everybody. You can sort of go towards the door, and they can't see you. So I'm standing in the hallway, and I thought, oh, I got this. And I, so I, there's this little corridor right in front of me. And so I was like, and I, I yelled something. I can't remember what I yelled, but I tried to get their attention, said something really goofy, right? Okay, and then I, boom, up there, and I said, it's like, like, they can't see me, right? Come, there's a corridor, and they can't see me. And I'm there, and I'm hiding. i got a good hide-and-seek place, right? But then something eerie came upon me. I felt like something's not right. And I looked off to my side. And the hotel door to room, whatever it was, was wide open. And then as I look, there's a gentleman and his wife sitting on the end of the bed. And they're two kids. And I'm like this, going, hee <laughs> Good day. I tried to hide. It didn't work. They spotted me. It was totally embarrassing, but that's my life, right? But when we mess up, we, we do dumb things. And, and, you know, sometimes we think, nobody sees it. Nobody saw me. Yes, nobody saw me. It's like, oh, they saw me. God sees you every time. Because of our guilt, because of our shame, we try to cover up everything, right? It's like, I don't want anybody to see what I'm doing in my life. I'm trying to hide it. I'm trying to hide it from God. But here's the thing. We get caught. And then what do we do? When we get caught, we do what? We say, I'm sorry, right? And the only reason we say we're sorry is because why? Because we got caught. Because probably if we wouldn't have gotten caught, we probably wouldn't have said I'm sorry. But we get caught. And then we feel bad. You know, we maybe feel bad to begin with, but we don't say I'm sorry until we get caught. At that point in time, we hide. And Adam and Eve, they messed up, and God went looking for them. Now, don't miss this, okay? When we mess up, God is looking for us. We mess up. God's looking for us. You ever wonder why you feel the way you feel? Maybe God's spirit is saying, mm, I'm looking for you right now. It's time for you to repent. It's time for you to say, I'm sorry. It's time for you to make things right. You think God's coming to give us an almighty whipping? Some of us think that. Why do we hide? Well, we fear what God's going to do to us. We don't want to admit anything wrong to anyone. Look at Genesis 3.10. Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid because I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you're naked? The Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? God knew. He wanted to hear Adam confess it. The man replied, Yes, I ate it. Leave Eve out of this. She had nothing to do with this. She's perfect, just like you created her. I am the sinner, God. I'm the man who sins first. Should have never taken the rib from me and given it to her because she's going to get messed up now because... Okay, now you're laughing because you know the story, right? What did Adam do? Oh, I... I the woman gave me the fruit to eat. Her fault. That's what we do, right? We blame. We get caught. We're like, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. Now, look at verse 12. The man replied, it was a woman who gave me the fruit, and I ate it, and he tells the truth. But it wasn't the whole truth. Yeah, she gave him the fruit, but it's still his fault. He wouldn't own up to his own sin. And that's what we do. We have a hard time owning up to our sin and our guilt that we're feeling, so we try to cover it up and blame somebody else. Look at verse 13. The Lord asked the woman, what have you done? What did she say? 
you're right. It's my fault. I just couldn't help myself. It's like buying a pair of shoes. I see one. I got to get in. There was fruit. I had to get it. Sorry, Elise. That didn't happen either, did it? What did she say? The serpent gave it to me. The serpent tempted me. That's why I eat. Eve does the same thing because that's what we do in mankind. We blame others. Let's be, let's be clear. Sin enters the world as a result of this moment in history. We're all sinners. We all mess up. We struggle just like Eve and Eve to do the right thing. And when we mess up, we struggle with owning our sin. It's so much easier to blame somebody else. It's so much easier to try to hide. I'm telling you something. Until you own up to it, you can never be forgiven. I'm wrong. I need to change the things that need to come out of our mouth. An amazing thing is that there is a God, the God who we come to worship every Sunday, who knows our sin, who sees our sin, and He still loves us. That's outrageous love. You know, when I was younger, if I met a girl and she had certain faults, I wouldn't want to date her. Right? You all can, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this, right? Let alone love her. I mean, she messed up. She had bad habits. I don't know. I don't want to love her romantically. I, I may like her, but I don't want to love her. I don't know. That's the next commitment level. But because of her faults, no thank you. But God demonstrates His love for us. That while we're still sinners, while we're still messing up, while we have bad habits, while we may be immature in how we act, He chooses to love us and send His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. See, somebody had to pay the price for our mistakes. See, when I was a kid, I, I'm sure this goes for everyone. When I, when I messed up, when I broke a rule at home, there's a punishment. Spanking, the belt, a removal of a privilege, there was punishment. Now, can you imagine? I come home late one night after my curfew. Okay, So I come pulling in, and I know I'm in trouble. I'm past my curfew, and I'm thinking I could just sneak up the stairs, but, you know, the stairs in our house creak. So, he was like, oh, no. And sure enough, Dad you know, comes out. Hey, what time is it? Oh, I don't know. Yes, you do. You got to watch. There's clocks. You know. You try to hide it, right? It's past my curfew. Dad makes it. No, son, it's past your curfew. You broke the rule. There's a punishment. Now, I can blame my friends, you know, like, what? Well, like Adam did, right? With Eve and Eve did with the serpent. Dad is my friends. I mean, I tried to leave. They hid my keys. Took me a while. I can blame my car. My car doesn't work, Dad. You know I need a new vehicle, but you made me buy that old Toyota that was 500 bucks. It's got holes in it. I've got to play with the spark plugs just to get it going. I could have blamed my car, right? But the truth is, I was late. There's a punishment. So Dad looks at me and says, Son, because I love you, because I love you, I'm not going to spank you with the belt. Instead, I'll whip your brother. Yes! Whip my brother. Wait, 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 wait. Then it sort of sinks in. Wait, wait, wait a minute. My brother doesn't deserve a whipping. 
no, he doesn't deserve a whip, and I have to think twice about that, right? Because, see, there's something inside of me that says, you know what? I, I love the fact that I got out of trouble. I love the fact that I don't have to get punished. But my brother's innocent. Why should my innocent brother take the punishment that I deserve? That doesn't make sense. But again, that's what God does with us. We deserve the punishment. Our punishment for our sin, the only way we can stand before a holy and just God, the only way is if somebody can remove my sin and the punishment that's deserved. There's a price that has to be paid. And so as God's about ready to pull out the almighty whip, Jesus steps up and says, I'll pay the price so that you don't have to. And his death on that cross, that cross was meant for each and every one of us. That punishment is our punishment. But Jesus stepped in front of us and said, I'll pay it. That's my outrageous love for you. God's love for us is incredible. We don't deserve it. I want you to hear this morning about the love of God and how it's defined. It is outrageous. Old Testament. Okay, we're in Genesis. Let's move forward uh, into Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Keep going. Go to Second Chronicles. Okay. Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-three. So move forward a few books in the Bible. Here's a story about a, a, a boy named Manasseh, 12 years old when he becomes king. Reigns in Jerusalem for 55 years. Let's pick this up in verse 2, 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Manasseh did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land of Israelites. Verse 3, he built the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had broken down. He constructed altars the images of Baal instead of Asherah poles. He bowed before all the powers of the heavens and worshipped them. Verse 4, he built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord, a place where the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. He built these altars for all the powers of heavens in both courtyards in the Lord's temple. Manasseh also sacrificed his own sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He practiced sorcery, divination, witchcraft, consulted with mediums and psychics. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing his anger. He's 12 years old. He becomes king. And to sum it up, you know what his kingdom is for 55 years? Complete evil. Builds these places of worship for false gods. Burns his own, sacrifices his own sons by burning them. Fortune telling, witchcraft, sorcery. He did not want to imitate his godly father. He wanted to do things his own way. Initiated one of the very worst kings of, uh, or imitated one of the worst kings of Israel, Ahab, in doing what Ahab had done. He embraced the same state uh, sponsored worship of Baal and Asherah. He marked it again, doing what the reign of Ahab had done. And it wasn't bad enough that Manasseh allowed this idol worship to happen in Judah, but he corrupted the worship of God in God's temple that had been erected by bringing in prostitution into the temple. This is real history. This took place 2,700 years ago, written in history. 
Manasseh's dad was King Hezekiah, a very godly man. And his grandson was Josiah, who brought Israel back to God. And right in between, you have Manasseh, a very evil man. If we read on, it says he led the people of Judah and Jerusalem to do even more than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel entered the land. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they ignored all of his warnings. This man was wicked. How wicked can you get that you also lead not only your nation, but all the surrounding nations beside you astray from God as well? God wiped out places due to their evil, right? Then along comes Manasseh. He creates a kingdom of greater evil than seen before. And you think about this, it's like, so why doesn't God destroy Manasseh? He destroyed these other nations that were really evil. So why not Manasseh? God sent prophets to these wicked kings. They wouldn't listen, right? Sometimes people just need to listen to God. But they don't. We don't. Listen, this is outrageous love because this was the great mercy of God. He's under no obligation to warn Manasseh. He could have just, boom, sent fire and Manasseh's gone. But God says, I've got an outrageous love. I don't know if you've heard about it yet, but I'm going to send a warning. So God sends a warning. And he didn't listen. All right, I sent a warning. He didn't listen. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my enemies. So God sends not just a prophet, but now an enemy to grab the attention of Manasseh. Verse 11. The Lord sent the commander of the Syrian armies. They took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose, bound him in bronze chains, led him away to Babylon. There you go, king. Now he's getting what he deserves, right? He deserved punishment, right? I mean, check out what happens. They put a ring through his nose. They put him in chains. They take him off to Babylon. He gets what he deserves. You ever felt that way about people? I mean, you're like you're driving down the road. And you're minding your own business. It's one of those days where you're not pulling out in front of people and you're not speeding. You're living the perfect life on the road, okay? It's just one of those rare days. And somebody else passes you and they're driving crazy. They almost knock you off the road. And you're like, man, that guy, you know? And you're just like, hmm. And then you, a little bit further down the road, there he is, pulled off the side by the cops. Like, yeah, you got what you deserve. Of course, we were sitting there thinking, what? I probably deserve the same thing, right? I remember when Colin was playing um, coach pitch baseball. You know, it's when the... The kids are really small, and the coaches are pitching to him, okay? And I remember coaching his team, and he had a teammate who had a mouth. A, you know what I mean? One of those that just kept yakking, and he wouldn't listen. And, uh, and I'm sure I'm sharing the story with you, so I'll share it again. But that one day, that little boy, he struggled. He kept striking out and striking out and striking out. And it's like, okay, be an encouragement to this boy. He really needs some encouragement. So I pulled him aside, and he's mad. He kept striking out, and I said, listen. You know, I, I, I know right now you're just trying to keep swinging away. and Don't give up. You know, I'm trying to encourage him. And he goes, first grader, coach, this is what you're doing. This is what you need to do. I was like, I just got told off by a first grader, and I don't know what to say. I was like, I, I, I didn't know. I was speechless, right? Next game. That little boy's out in second base. Somebody hits the ball. Hit pretty hard. Took a big bounce. Popped him right in the lip. Mm -hmm. Oh, he was crying. First thing I thought was, yeah, you deserve that. This is what you're doing. This is you. You know. Okay. Now, I didn't do that, but let's be honest. Let's be real. How many of you, on that sinful part of you, that happens? You're like, no, I'm a godly person. I don't think that, right? 
you know, we went out to that boy, we took care of him, and, and part of you on the inside is saying, you got what you deserve, you know? And there's the other part who says, oh, I wish that would have never happened to you. But when we look at the story, Manessa, he not only got what he deserved, he gets what he doesn't deserve. Listen very carefully what happens. Verse 12, but the, while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. He humbled himself before God. He says he got down in verse 13 and he prayed. What? He's praying to God now? Look what it says. And the Lord listened to him. And he was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. Manasseh sought out God. I mean, it's been said that God speaks to us in our pleasures and shouts to us in our pains. Manasseh finally listened to God shouting through his affliction. Think about this. When we ignore God and we do our own thing, guess what? We mess up. Life gets messy. And you hit rock bottom or the rocks start hitting your bottom one way or another. We finally throw our hands up in the air and we shout, I surrender. I can't do this anymore, God. When we seek the Lord, we humble ourselves. We pray. Think about this. Are you kidding me? He had all kinds of gods he worshipped. But he finally figured out there's only one God. And he prayed to him. Many of you know this proverb. It's Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And he will not depart from it, right? I want you to think about this. Manasseh was raised by a godly father. And he lived in defiance of his father's godliness. Don't want anything to do with the way my dad, or my dad's a religious man. Don't want anything to do with it. Some of you have had kids. You know people whose parents have cried because their kids have sort of just like walked away from faith. There's some good news here that Manasseh came back. At the end of his days, he truly repented and he served God. And it's crazy, right? But this is the outrageous love of God. That when he prayed, God listened to him. Parents, I want you to think about this. Has any of your children ever did something that was flat out wrong and I, I mean your kids really messed up and you were like I can't believe my kid did this I would never thought my child would have done this and you you just want to punish the snot out of them right you're just like oh they're so they're so going to get it or maybe it wasn't your kid maybe it was a friend maybe somebody in here you've got a friend that really did something to you and they're just like I can't believe they did this to me maybe it's a spouse maybe it's a family member and they made you so mad you're just like I would never forgive them I would never forget what they did to me. They deserve a turn shoulder. They get my silence. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure we've all felt that way, right? Do you ever think that God feels that way about his children? About us? God listens to Manasseh, and he only listens, he's moved. And to me, that's ridiculous. That's outrageous. But that's the love of God. So God brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem back to his kingdom. And Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. God brings him back. It's a picture of repentance. God made Manasseh a king again and God restored him. Now we don't know in the 55 years of being a king how many years he was living in rebellion. Probably 50 plus, right? Maybe in the last couple years, that's when he got it right with God. But what appears in the majority of his life was spent evil. Yet God, in his amazing, outrageous love, gives Manasseh what he doesn't deserve. Manasseh, you don't deserve the kingdom the way you've lived. It's been evil. But God says, because of my outrageous love, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. 
God didn't have to, but he did. And you look at verse 14. And you see what he did. He rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David. He built a wall high. You go on to read in verse 15. He removed foreign gods from the idol from the Lord's temple. He tore down all the altars he had built on the hill where the temple stood. And the altars were in Jerusalem. And he dumped them outside the city. He restored the altar of the Lord. Then it goes on to say this. He restored the altar of the Lord. Sacrificed peace offerings and thanksgiving offerings on it. He also encouraged the people of Judah to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And his prayer... And how God was moved by his entreating all his sin and his faithfulness and the sites on which he built high places and set up the ashram and the images before he humbled himself, before they were written in the Chronicles of the Seers. I'm telling you something. His story is written out there for us. We get to look at Manasseh's story and say, it was an ugly story. But God forgave him. He didn't deserve forgiveness, but God gave it to him because God has outrageous love. If we were to write out our story, matter of fact, if we were to write out our top 10 worst moments in our life, we'd want to burn them right away, right? Nobody's eyes want to look at what our 10 worst moments in our life are. But God looks at me and says, I love you regardless of that. I've got an outrageous love for you. I see that. Matter of fact, I look at the top 10 evil people in the world, and I still love them. God, how can you? God says, because i got an outrageous, ridiculous love for you. You know, this isn't a sermon uh, that God is love and flowers and ponies and rainbows and all that, okay? Because I want you to understand, because sometimes people go to church, it's like, all I hear about is God is love, God is love. But God's holy and He's just. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And we don't have a clue to understanding how we are so deserving of destruction. We can't live up to God's holy standard. There's no way. Sin is destructive. God wants us to stay away from it. Like God shows up at church and he says, hey, church, wake up. Wake up to the fact that you're selfish, you're greedy, you're pornographic, you're negativity, you're gossip, you're worldly, your potty mouth, self-centered lives is destructive. Church, wake up. That kind of life won't stand before a holy God. But you know what? Because I'm a holy God, I'm going to show you my outrageous love for you and give you what you don't deserve. And that's forgiveness. That's my love. The message about Manasseh is a message, I think, to all of us to wake up to a new defined word for love. Being outrageous. Love isn't gushy and chocolatey. Love is sacrifice. Love is God forgiving what we did so that we can have a presence in the place of God. God's love is the source of all love. And here's the thing. I can't love others until... He's the one who motivates and defines all love. So there's a lot of characteristics about love, and why is this one so important? Author Mike Baker said this, When in Morocco, we looked at the Muslim faith. 99 names for Allah. Not one of his names is love. See, God without love can't have a relationship. He can be all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, but that would not be a relationship. Love allows us. Love is foundational. God is love. That's what makes his love so outrageous. So let's take action, church. Let's take action. God loves us unconditionally. So I want to ask you this morning, have you accepted that love? Have you accepted God's outrageous love for you? 
Have you confessed your sins to an almighty God? Have you, like Manasseh, got on your knees and said, God, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I'm owning up. I'm not going to blame anybody else. It's my sin. Have you done that, church? Have you placed your faith in Him? Have you believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? Have you done that? If not, today's a good day to do that. And for those of us who have accepted God's gift, His faith, His salvation, and you understand that God loves you, how are you doing with loving others unconditionally? Ephesians 5.2 says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. A fragrant sacrifice to God. As we walk, as we conduct ourselves, do we love others? John 13.34 says, A new command I give to you, that you love one another, just not as I've loved you, but for you to love one another as well. He goes on to say just a few chapters later, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Take home in my love. This is my command that you love one another as I've loved you. God has an outrageous love that he gives us. Now he says, take that outrageous love and go love others now. Matter of fact, we're going to watch a video here in about a couple seconds. And in that video, it's just going to give you some ideas and thoughts, okay, about how we can love others. Kids, kids, how many times have you seen in your schools, and you probably find some in this school too, signs that say, stop bullying, right? Don't do this. I want to tell you something. Those are great things, okay? But it's not about not doing something. I'm not going to bully people. I'm not going to be mean. It's about being on the other side of that coin. I'm going to start loving outrageously. I'm telling you, if I'm loving unconditionally the way God loves me, I don't have to worry about bullying. I don't have to worry about being mean to other people. If I'm amping up on love for others, I'm not going to think twice about bashing them. Do you know the outrageous, amazing love of God, church? Do you know that love? And how are you sharing it with others? We'll watch this video now, and maybe it'll help you to consider the love of God for us and how we can replicate that to others.